Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of digital audio books. Over at audible.com, there are hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from in a tremendous range of genres. And you can play them on just about any digital listening device under the sun, whether it's an iPhone, a Kindle, an Android, you name it. And here is the deal, everybody. Right now, for listeners of this program, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Go get This Is How You Lose Her, the new collection by Juno Diaz, or How About Life of Pi by Yann Martel, now a major motion picture, or... The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, also a major motion picture. Just about any book at audible.com can be yours free of charge. And if you do this, if you go get the freebie, it helps the program. I get a few pennies. That is pleasant. To download your free audio book, just go to audibletrial.com slash other people. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash other people. This is a great deal. It is available right now. These are books. You can listen to them. Go and get them. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jake, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host. Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. Okay, right. here we go again, folks. This is it. This is other people. This is a person with a microphone. This is a person with a telephone. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. As always, it's good to be with you. And uh, I figured today I would start with some mail. Why not start with some email from a listener? This one comes from a delightful woman named Rhonda who writes, Aloha, Brad. I'm one of your other people listeners. This is the first time I have written to a podcast host. You are strangely familiar to me, a person I do not know at all, but also do know since I have listened to hours of your voice in interviews. Don't worry. I'm not a stalker. I'm way too busy and old for that sort of stuff. I listen to you mostly while I am running with my dog, shuttling the kids, watering plants, cooking. As I listen, I am often amused, fascinated, relieved, and always interested. You have a gift for casual conversation about heady as well as pedestrian topics and I love all of your Los Angeles references because it takes me back. I lived there for seven groovy years in the early 80s, 
four years during college, then three years post-college in the Beverly Fairfax area. Anyway, what prompted me to write was this. You made me smile this morning. It was episode 97. I was listening and running with my dog in the early morning. You were doing your pre-interview chat. You were telling us about your reality TV show ideas, specifically the Elevator series. And so uh, just to interrupt here, folks, and to give you a little bit of context, if I remember correctly, in episode 97, I was talking about an idea that I had for a reality show, uh, like a show that takes place entirely inside of uh, elevators where uh, the star or the stars of the show confront people in elevators and engage them uh, in strange, you know, and then engaging in strange behavior, asking people personal questions and so on and so forth. So there you have that. And uh, the letter continues, I feel compelled, Brad, to tell you about uh, elevator theater in my life. It was Los Angeles, post-college, 1981. My college friend and I had a thing where, for fun sometimes, we would board a random elevator in L.A. and improvise a situation, a drama, an overheard conversation, a fight, whatever came to us at the moment. It was a load of fun. It satisfied our need for attention and spontaneity, and the theater was visceral and real. This was before reality television, the Internet, the Patriot Act, and all the stuff that seems to complicate human interaction these days. Of course, elevator theater didn't go anywhere. It just was for that brief interlude. It ended when I moved back to Tucson and went to law school, and my friend started a for-profit religion. It was really just about a good time. Anyway, I hope you do something with the idea, and even if you don't, I just wanted you to know that the Elevator Theater has its roots in the City of Angels. Please write me back to acknowledge my letter, and maybe Elevator Theater will move to the next level. That would be good. Best regards from one of your listeners, Rhonda. So uh, thank you, Rhonda, for listening and for taking the time to write. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, who knows? Like Maybe I will do something with the Elevator Theater thing. I don't know. Uh, it really comes down to time and resources, the allotment of time and resources. I tend to have a lot of these strange ideas, and uh, ultimately I think it just comes down to opportunity. So if anyone out there works in reality television and uh, is interested in developing this with me and paying me an, an enormous sum of money, you can email me at letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Uh, and hey, before we get started, let me give a quick plug uh, for my new book, Shamelessly. It's called Bored. I co-authored it with Justin Benton. It is now available in print and ebook editions wherever books are sold online. So please go get a copy. It's nonfiction. It's experimental. It's a work of literary collage, the contents of which are derived entirely from the comment boards at the Nervous Breakdown, which is my online culture magazine and literary community thing. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. 
The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Sam Pink. He is the author of several books, including the novel Person. His new novel, Rontel, is due out from Lazy Fascist Press on Valentine's Day 2013. He is a unique voice in uh, the world of literature, in the alt-lit universe. I believe he's in the alt-lit universe. Where is the alt-lit universe? Where does it exist? Where is the universe, for that matter? Uh, This is Sam Pink, ladies and gentlemen. My conversation with Sam Pink. This is the two of us talking. Are you ready? Uh, I am in... uh... Chicago, Illinois, in a bedroom. Your bedroom or just uh, a bedroom? <laughs> no, not my bedroom. Whose bedroom is it? I am in my girlfriend's bedroom. Oh, you are? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Chicago. Chicago, Illinois. Is that, is that, I mean, is this where you're from originally? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. So born and raised, spent your whole life there. Not spent my whole life here. Spent pretty much my whole life here. Like I'm, I moved around a lot, like when I was younger, but only for a brief period of time. But for the most part, um, like the Chicago and the Chicago area or whatever. The Chicago land, as it is sometimes called. Yes, it is sometimes called that. You're right. <laughs> um, so okay. So did you go to college there? Like what happened? Like you, you know, you went to high school there. Um, no, I didn't go to college right away. And then I got kicked out of the college and like, I don't know, bad stuff always happens at school for me. So like, I don't know, you know? Well, okay. Let's talk about this then. So you, you say, uh, you got kicked out of college. Is that right? Yeah. The first, well, yeah, I went to community college first and I didn't get kicked out there, but then I went to another, I went to a different school and I got suspended or kicked out or whatever just for grades no for like a whole bunch of shit like like vandalism and selling drugs and like other things like that and um me and my friends stole a car but i don't think that i don't think that was ever like confirmed by anybody so i don't think that had anything to do with it That's but like yeah my grades were good my grades were real good you know like otherwise, aside from like Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto and drug trafficking, <laughs> you were a model student, right? Yeah, yeah. School is easy. School is school is always easy. Okay, so what school was this? At? What school were you at when uh, when you got kicked out? Western Illinois University. Okay. Um, and and then like, what kind of drugs were you trafficking? What was it, like just like weed and stuff? Um, cocaine. Oh, really? yeah yeah wow it was like here's the thing like i i knew a bunch of people in chicago like i I had been living in chicago and like i knew a bunch of dudes who made like a lot of money in the city and i was like well just like you know what i mean i was like give me some fucking give me some startup or whatever for really cheap 
because if you take it out of the city, people will pay like three to four times the amount for it. So like, I just sold a lot of coke and made like a lot of fucking money, and then stopped before I actually got arrested. Okay, so like, where? I actually, I had a dream. I actually had a dream. Like, it wasn't even a dream-like dream. It was more just like I witnessed myself getting arrested with a bunch of coke, and then it was it was like a weird dream where I felt like. I thought about stuff or whatever, and then like I flushed a bunch of coke down the toilet the next day and didn't get caught. You you actually said not there a bunch, and, uh, not a bunch, not a bunch. I'm talking like not even not even like a ball. You know what I mean? Okay. Or whatever. Yeah, but but just yeah. just some. It was like a symbolic gesture. Yeah, yeah, just like paranoid shit. You know what I mean? Like bad paranoid shit that sucks. Like yeah. You know. Were you doing a lot of blow, or were you just selling it? At a certain point, yeah. At a certain point, yeah. Yeah. It's but, like, not really. I was not, I, not, I never really liked Coke that much. But, like, fuck it. If I, I mean, like, if I had a whole shitload of it, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, I guess. Yeah. Well, this is the, thing, think, about, this I, is the thing about cocaine. I, I, any drug, like, I feel like people are always going off into, like, private rooms to do cocaine. And, like, my attitude, um, you know, and this was when I was in college, was when I, when I was around it regularly. And, like... Uh, or not even regularly, but it was around, you know, and, and I was always like, why are people hiding it? You know what I'm saying? If you can't do something in the open, then don't do it at all. And like, I always appreciated it when there was somebody who was like really into cocaine, who would just like lay it down right in front of everybody, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, he's just like, fuck it, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if, like, whatever. I, I just don't like, I think that there's some sort of dark turn that things take when all of a sudden, like groups of two and three people start like going and hiding in a bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I feel like coke is for shitheads anyway, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I don't know which consequence of what there, of what you just said. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it is like a shitty, stupid drug that makes people act like fucking retards. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. So no. there, there's that to it too. Like people doing it out in the open to me isn't like, oh, that person's like better in my opinion or whatever. I just don't. I don't like cokeheads really. I guess. Yeah. No. I mean, I think like the only. The only time I could really tolerate it and had had fun with it was when like I was the drunk guy and other people around me were on it because then they're just like talking to you and just jabbering at you and everyone loves you. It's like same thing if you're like the only drunk person around people on ecstasy, then you're like really having a good time because everybody's so fucking nice to you. you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you're getting yeah, but like I feel I feel like I'm the type of shithead who's like these people are only being nice to me because they're on drugs, and then I feel like even worse about it. Yeah, you know I mean like I can't even like accept that. Right. Like, well, fuck it. Right. They're high. That's why they're like me. I'm still shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of, you know, that's the thing. You have to be sort of drunk and just kind of go with it at some point, you know. But, um, you know, I don't know. Those speedy drugs and those sort of, uh, what are they called? Not hallucinogens, but F, uh, what's it called? Empathogens. I think that's what ecstasy is. Like, you know, where it like induces empathy or whatever. Um, I kind of feel that way about all like dr like uppers like that. It always makes me at some point really really guilty and like um, well, I don't know like I, like I feel like I feel guilty about a lot of things and I feel bad about my life and I feel like I've done people wrong. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, like they're just whenever like, I take like any kind of upper. Yeah, speedy drugs are bad news, you know. And then like the come down and the whole thing, it just it just tends to be ugly. And then. Um, people just get really chatty and there's like grinding jaws and like bug eyes and you know, it just makes me sort of sketched out. Yeah. I feel like I'm already kind of like paranoid and like manic sometimes anyway. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But like I said, I mean, I still do it. You know what I'm saying? I don't really, <laughs> not really that smart. 
Uh, okay, so so college. So you, you were at Western Illinois. You got kicked out for a variety of reasons. And then did you go back ever or did you never finish? No, yeah. And then um, I went back in the city. I went back in the city and I finished. And got your degree in what, like English? Yeah. It was like, um, it was the counselors there like never talked to you. So I just kept like doing stuff. And then at a certain point they're like, Hey, you have to talk to a counselor. And then, um, I went in and they were like, well, let's see what you've already done. And then we'll figure out what we can give you basically. And so that was, that was what it was. What school was this? This was at, um, UIC. Okay. Okay. All right, and so uh, prior to all this, like just to maybe maybe we'll go back and, and uh, trace back to this moment. Like prior to all this, like what kind of kid were you when you were younger? Like do you feel like that you were always sort of on track to becoming a writer, or does, is it something that like feel, feel surprising to you? Like what kind of kid were you when you were really young? Like what what age do you mean? I don't know, like childhood, early childhood, you know, five, six. I don't. Seven. I don't feel like. I feel like I have a, a strange inability to remember a lot of things. Like, um, I don't like, I feel like I don't remember a lot about my childhood at all. Like, I know that sounds really strange, but like, I try to think really hard and I can only remember like a few things. Yeah, no, so, like, I, I, have, I, I have a, I have a spotty memory too. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, I guess I'm just talking. I, I actually feel, I feel like I have a really good memory. I just, for some reason, can't remember like childhood things a lot. Um, so I don't know. Well, what kind of did you have a happy childhood? Would you say, or do you not even? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't feel like I really ever felt that happy. now. ever. Okay. What? What? Like, what? What did your parents do? Um, I don't really know. Like my I, my dad would tell me what he did, but I really didn't know what it was ever. I could never like explain it to anybody. He like worked on. He was like an engineer or something like that. Um. So, yeah. Just like an engineer at some company. Something with, like, math and science and, like, building things, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And then what about your mom? Like, where do you get the uh, the writer gene from? Um, I don't really know. I don't know anything about, like, a writer gene, I guess. Like, I feel like um, at a certain point I just was like, well, maybe I'll write down some of the things that I think and, like, situations that I've been in, and then that's how it happened or whatever. And I also like to look for things to do. Like I enjoy having things that I can look forward to doing and then doing those things and feeling like some kind of, like at least I feel like a little bit better while I'm doing those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but you don't have like a family history, I guess is what I was asking. Like there's no like family history of artists or anything like that. Oh yeah. My uncle is actually John Updike. Not really. For real? No, he's not. No, he's not my uncle. No. <laughs> he's dead now. He's dead too, right? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died. He died. Um, he's nobody's uncle now. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means. I just said that like it was like threatening. <laughs> but, uh, what about siblings? Do you have any siblings? Um, yeah, I have uh, two younger brothers. Okay, what are they? What are they up to? Are they following in your footsteps? No, I really only talk to the one, and he um, is a, he's an improv comedian. Oh, that's cool. Like right there at, like, what, yeah. Second City or whatever? He did some stuff at Second City, I think, but I, from what I've learned, I guess, like, Second City, 
It's the first one that people like think of or whatever, but it's not really rega- like high, like people in the city are like, oh, whatever, to it. Especially like the comedians or whatever. They're like, oh, fuck it. It's all like dumb political shit or whatever. It's like kind of old news. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's either like, I guess it's like either like Cubs humor or like political humor. Like basically like catering to the city, you know, like whatever. Right, right, right. Um, okay. So, I mean, so, okay. So your dad's an engineer. What was your mom? What did your mom do? Was she working or was she a homemaker? What, what, what happened there? Um, it was like both, I guess. Like sometimes she was just at home and sometimes she did like what I, like, when I was younger, it'd just be like different jobs, like all oh, working at like jewel or whatever, you know, the, the, the grocery store called jewel. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Milwaukee originally. It sort of rings a bell, I think. Oh, yeah, Jewel. Okay, okay. Um, and so then you're growing up, you have two younger brothers, uh, you know, and you said you never re- were really happy. Like, were you a de- are you a depressive person? Were you always depressive? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm bipolar, so I, uh, I feel like depressed a lot, actually. Do you, are you on medication for that or anything? No. You're not okay, so you just sort of like ride the different uh, waves. Like, how does it work? Because, like, I think, you know, I have some friends who are bipolar. Some of them take medication. Um, others, you know, I don't think they do. And I feel like there's just sort of like up cycles and down cycles, right? I mean, is that a, is that a kind of a crude way of assessing it? Uh yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a good way of saying it. Okay, so when you're in an up, like when you write your books, are you in usually like an up cycle and these things just sort of shoot out of you really quickly? Because that's how I always imagine it with people who are bipolar is that they have these kind of like manic phases where they're extremely high energy and their creative output is sort of incredible. Um, And then you go into the lower phases and like nothing happens. Is that basically how it works for you creatively? Um, No, I don't think it works like that for me. Um, Maybe... I, I think uh, it's I enjoy attempting to work on something in both like phases. I guess if that's what we're gonna call it, like it's good to I like to look at the same thing in a really like positive, almost like like too too happy type of feeling, and then look at the same thing and see if I still like it when I feel really really shitty and bad, you know. And then like you kind of can pick things out like well what's good and what's not good. Yeah, no, I mean, it kind of reminds me, like, I think it was Norman Mailer, how, like, it was something I read that he said once about, like, writing and how he always likes to edit, he, he always liked to edit his books when he was, like, uh, I think what he called it was, like, a slight bummer. Um, not too depressed, but, like, just sort of depressed. <laughs> uh, because if he tried to edit his work when he was, like, too happy, he was too forgiving of it. And if he tried to edit it when he was, like, too depressed then he was too hard on it do you know what i'm saying it was like some trying to strike some sort of equilibrium yeah so when you're but but you say like you can work creatively and find the energy to do you know the writing regardless of whether or not you're in an up cycle or a down cycle or whatever like it, you, you never feel like too depressed to write or anything like that no definitely i definitely do i definitely do okay and not and just not all the time i'd say like that's definitely it's definitely something like where you're like, oh shit, I don't even, you know what I mean? Like you, it feels like you can't even like sit up. You're like sitting on the couch, kind of like leaning on it or whatever. And then you're like, I don't even think I could sit up right now, you know? So it's like, let alone like do some dumb shit, like 
like writing like everything that you do is just fucking stupid and terrible and like why are you doing it you know like that kind of thing like I wouldn't even want to look at anything I'd done just to be like oh man and so how often does that how, how often does that sort of thing happen uh, I don't really know I don't I don't think I've ever like tried to like measure it like your graph it or whatever like figure out what happens yeah but I mean, just like somewhat frequently. I mean, is that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like I recognize it. It's like, oh yeah, this, you know, like, um, yeah. And have... it's I don't know. It's go ahead. No, it's kind of like enjoyable. Like if you, it's almost like becomes like drug like at some points. You know, where you're like, wow. <laughs> this is so shitty that I feel like good. Like almost when you when you have a really bad fever, like I enjoy getting a really bad fever every once in a while. It's like fun. It's like fun, you know. Yeah. You're so fucked up from it. That it's like this is great. Like, and that's sometimes how it is. There is, uh, yeah. I, I got like you know I don't get sick very often, but I got sick uh, last year, and it was like this 24 hour or 48 hour bug, and it like. It was a high fever, and it just, like, completely knocked me out, like, to the point where I didn't get out of bed for, like, you know, a day and a half straight. And it was sort of great. <laughs> I think I was just so yeah. – I was just so happy to have the sleep. I've got a two-year-old, so I don't get to sleep as much as I'd like. But um, it was just sort of nice to just sort of, like, let it, you know, take over. Yeah, that's good. I actually um, – I had something similar happen to me. I got, like, so badly sunburned over the like a couple months ago that I got uh, a fever from it and it felt like really good. I mean, it was bad because I felt unsure about what I should do, but um, it felt really like good. Like I felt like really delirious and everything and everything I thought about was like really funny to me. Like what kind of fever are we talking? Like 104, like, like super high. I don't think like that. I'm going to say like 102, 103, something like that. Yeah. And you were, and you were still, um, and, and that was generating like, strange visions yeah i think um i feel like that's how i get sick like I, I only get sick maybe like once a year and it's just really bad for like a day and that's it yeah that's sort of how i am too i, pro I process them quickly you know like they they can knock me down but like i don't like they don't usually last knock on you know knock on wood Right, right. Um, so let me ask you, like, just because, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to know, like, uh, more about, like, bipolar. Um, like, is this something that you got diagnosed with, or is this something you've self-diagnosed? No, no. The, um, there was a doctor who told me that's what it was. Ah, okay. And so, and you don't feel any, like, did, did this doctor, like, say, like, you need to be medicated, or, like, can you live without medicating it? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, are you supposed to medicate it, or is it fine to not do it and just sort of monitor it, or be aware of it? It's supposed to be, I think I'm supposed, it's, so, it's supposed to be medicated. And so why do you not medicate it? Um, like, I tried it a long time ago for a little bit, and I didn't like it, so I just stopped doing it. Like, what, what was, what is it? Um, I didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't like the feel. I didn't like the feeling. Like, I mean, it seems like it was actually working, but I didn't really like the work that I was doing, I guess. I just felt like kind of like, okay or whatever. Yeah. It just sort of like, it sort of like takes away. Was it an antidepressant? Like, forgive me for not knowing like what they give people. Uh, like what, what drug was it? There was, um, if I remember right, if I remember right, I, uh, had, I was taking uh, antidepressants and also uh, 
an antipsychotic or something. It was called like Risperdal. Okay. Um, and then um, other shit too that I don't really like. I don't remember the fucking names or whatever. Just a whole bunch of whatever. Yeah. And um, and like uh, I didn't really like it. It felt I don't know. Just sort of like like leveled you out or numbed you out or something. I think maybe if I'm thinking about the weird, the, the what made it bad or weird was that all of a sudden, um, like I, w- I was normal, but it felt fucked up to me rather than like being a little fucked up, but that being normal to you so you can control it. I don't, I don't think that makes any sense. So like, if I, I, like all of a sudden I was normal and that wasn't something that I was used to. So it was a little more scary than just being a little unusual regularly, I guess. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. And so... Do you feel like writing has a therapeutic effect for you at all? Yeah, because I don't really, like, you just sit there and you look at it, you know? <laughs> you're just like, you're just okay for a little bit. You're doing something, you're focused on something. Like, like it's, it's the same thing as, like, throwing a football with somebody or whatever. You're just doing something, and you're not, like, thinking about how bad stuff is or, like, being paranoid or anything else like that. I guess. Does it help at all to kind of like see what you think in front of you? Like, cause I, and I, I, you know, I just say this from my own experience. Like if there's something bothering me, which is, I think why most of us write like something's, you know, something's driving us to write. There's something we're trying to work out, uh, somehow I think, right. Like maybe not all the time, but for a lot of us this way, you know, or it is this way. And so if I'm, if I've got this sort of itch, I need to scratch. And then I sit down and I write about it and I, and I try to put the words in the right order and I kind of see it in front of me that can have some sort of medicinal effect or provide some distance or some comfort somehow. Do you feel that way? Um, maybe, I don't know. I think, um, it's more about when I'm just, when I'm doing it, like the actual act of sitting down and doing something, you can at least say, I have to do this now, or like fool yourself into thinking you have something to do. Because um, I don't really feel like I ever work things out. Or maybe if I do, I just write it down one way and then forget about it and then start to experience it all over again. Yeah. Or it like works on maybe on like a subconscious level or something. Maybe. I just don't think like it ever, I don't think things change that much. I think maybe I just look at them different ways. Yeah. So what kind of like writing schedule do you keep? Do you keep one? Like, are you a really, like, do you have a really strong work ethic with it? Or do you just sort of write when you feel like it? Um, if I have something, then, uh, I feel like I work hard on it. But if I don't have anything, then I don't do anything. So how long did it, like, for instance, when you wrote person, how long did it take you to write it? Um, a year and a half. Oh, it did. Okay. So I can, are you, uh, going back and revising really heavily and like writing multiple drafts or do these things come out pretty whole for you? Um, I, well, I think for the most part they come out pretty, well, I don't know. They come out, um, not totally different from how they end up, but a lot of it is just reading it over and over again. And just what, like making small changes. Yeah, just being, I mean, kind of like, does that, it just, don't put anything, I guess, that doesn't need to be there. Make it really, just make it really easy to read. I don't want there to, I don't want anyone to be, like, confused about anything. 
just like here's what's happening you know yeah when you and you wrote uh you know you like you wrote person in this sort of like line by line vertical stack like there weren't even paragraphs really right or very few or very right. short you know like that's obviously a conscious decision is that based mostly in readability uh yeah i think what happened was i don't really remember a whole lot but um I think it was that it, it was in paragraphs or, or, or maybe in just whatever paragraphs or like different um, graphs or something. And then um, I, to, to make it easier to edit each sentence, I just spaced them all out that way. And then I just left it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Like I write emails that way and it seems like sort of, di it seems like something that's kind of an outgrowth of the internet or digital writing somehow, but it's like, it felt very familiar to me when I was reading it. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, people have been doing it for a while, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Like, who else? Who else does it that way? I'm trying to think of anybody. I'm sure. That, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I, I know like Vonnegut worked in like really short bursts, but not quite that short. You know. Yeah, there's um, some of Nietzsche's books are just sentence by sentence. Are you a fan of his? Uh, yeah, I've read. I've read um, a lot of his work. Okay. Um. All right. Well, and so. What do you do uh, for, like for a living in Chicago? Is writing all that you do, or do you do like you have a day job or anything? Um, right now, no. I've just been able to like sell drawings and make some money off of writing and um, things like that. I don't. I, I don't. I try to just like make money as I need it or whatever. And just so where and you just, and you live with your girlfriend? Yeah. Okay, and you're and you're borrowing her phone because I remember you told me you don't even have a phone. That's like which I sort of uh, envy, just like not having any phone to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. Don't don't be fooled. It's good. <laughs> uh, all right, man. So let's talk about like recently you wrote a blog post on your site. Called, what was it called? It's called like I'm giving up or I've decided to give up or whatever. And it was right on the heels of this book tour that you did with uh, Scott McClanahan and Megan Boyle. What was it called? The, the the soon to be dead friends book tour or something like that. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Real pain. Yeah. Real pain. Yeah. And I was like following this on Facebook and I, uh, you know, I saw uh, Megan's post on vice magazine's website, which I thought was really interesting. And then in, mm -hmm. the, in the wake of that, you wrote this blog post that seemed pretty dark about how like you were giving up. Like, was that uh, like was that in any way uh, theatrical or were you serious? Like, what I don't really think it's like either. I just think like I think shit like that sometimes. You know, like um, I don't really ever know if I'm like being serious or, or whatever, or if I'm serious, it like doesn't last. So. I don't really ever know. Like, I don't really ever put any meaning. I, I kind of, like, don't even operate under the idea that people read it, if that makes sense. So, but you were, were you feeling depressed after the book tour had ended? Like, you know, everyone, because I can see how that must have been, like, fun. You're hanging out with all your friends and you're, you know, on this crazy road trip and then you get back and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's less fun or it's sort of a downer. Like, was that part of it? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm not sure, though. You might be right. Okay, and so then you you wrote this. I thing. think it's just kind of like random shit. Yeah, it's like just random, you know. But I mean, it wasn't. Was it like rooted in like suicidal feelings, or was it just like I quit writing? Fuck this! I'm 
tired or <laughs> you know, like I'm just pretty much like I mean pretty much like all of it. It feels good to like have those thoughts and to like say you know like I know when like people when people say like oh it's like sad or alarming when someone's suicidal but like sometimes it's just good to like think about it you know I don't think people understand that it's like good to think about it sometimes. Well, no, I kind of agree. I mean, like, I think that people can too easily throw, like, a single blanket over those kinds of sentiments. And it's like, oh, you're depressed. Oh, this is bad. But, like, you know, to to think about suicide is to, like, entertain, like, a pretty serious philosophical question, I think. Like, and that's, like, why live? You know, like, if if life is suffering, like, why live? And, like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do something drastic. It just means that, like you know, you're, you're thinking about it. I, I, I kind of get that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Again, don't be fooled. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hype around this anti-suicide thing, but it's, it's good for you. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> um, so t- let's talk about this book tour, the real pain book tour. Uh, like how did that originate? Um, I actually don't, know that for sure I was just kind of told but I, I would assume that Scott like I, I've known Scott for a while and um, he had mentioned like doing something uh, he's like hey do you, would you want to drive around with me in my car and we can do readings and I, he mentioned the model of the car but I don't remember what it was and then um, at a certain point later on he like got a hold of me again and was like could you do this during these dates and then he gave me the dates and I was like, yeah. And then that was pretty much it. And so then what you just, he, he showed up at your house or picked you up? No, I took, um, I took a train to Cleveland and, and that's where it started. Okay. I and took who, a train to Cleveland. And who was involved again? So it's Scott McClanahan. Um, yeah, him, Mike Bushnell, Jordan Castro, Mallory Witten, and Megan Boyle. That's a good crew. It's a it was a pretty it was a good group of people. Okay, and so you just drove from like town to town in the Midwest, and you gave readings, and uh, like you know, there's like a video on the Vice thing where everyone is sitting in a room, uh, I think, smoking DMT. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like one of the most surreal videos I've ever seen. And uh, the camera, just to like paint a picture for listeners, the camera is completely static. It's just like perched on a tripod or whatever it is. Um, And then there's just like a group of like, you know, all of you guys basically sitting there um, uh, hallucinating. Is that a fair assessment? I've never done DMT, so I don't know what this uh, entails. Um, Yeah, I'd say that's 100% accurate. Okay, so, and I remember, I think, if you were looking at the video, you were sitting over to the right in a chair, and <laughs> what makes it so funny is that like, you just had, like, you know, very little reaction, and, and I don't think you had anything to say, but it looked like maybe there was a lot going on behind your eyes, if, if you know what I mean, so, like, can you describe what that experience was like for you? Like, what were you seeing? Um, well, I think there was, like, two, I think there was two times. And, um, the first time it was just like, I feel, I feel like, um, everything like lost dimension, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't feel like I was like a person inside of a room anymore. It was just like two dimensional or whatever. 
And then I saw all these, like, animals, like, geometric, like, shiny neon animals, like, mating with each other and, like, running into each other. And then I don't, like, remember a lot of the rest of it, except for just, like, all of a sudden remembering that I was there, like, sitting there. Okay. You know, like, it was like, oh, shit, yeah, that's right, I'm sitting here, I forgot about that. (laughs) Did uh, did anyone else in the room report similar findings, or was this, like, exclusive to you? No, I think, um, I feel like everyone had, I mean, you could probably describe everyone's experience as similar if you're vague enough, you know? Um, but I think, yeah, like, it's pretty far out there, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> it's, some, it's some wild shit. I know. And so, like, what I, I guess what I want to know is, um, like, can you make sense of it? Like, what do you think that experience tells you? Other than, like, do you just feel like I just scrambled my brain and saw some weird shit or do you think that there's like some other dimension that you were exposed to or do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you have any sense of what that experience means or no? I don't think I, I, I feel like it, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like it all, it definitely like means something, but I don't feel like it's, I've never been the type of person who like can, um, do some drugs like that or something. And then right away be like, Oh, and here's what I learned. You know, it's more just like, a steady, long, ongoing thing, and the drugs have, like, something to do with it, but not entirely, you know? Yeah. But like, you... It was just something, like, I don't feel like I even have the right kind of, like, scope on it right now. Yeah. And do you think it's a beneficial experience? Well, yeah, and that I don't really... I don't really see any harm, yeah, I mean... <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, here's here's another benefit. There's... Um, a fucking video of me wearing some sweet ass umbros online now, really high on DMT, you know. So that's a that's a benefit. You oh you were wearing umbros in that video? Yeah, I had some sweet ass green umbros on. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, I forgot. I I haven't. I but I mean I'm, I I wore lots of umbros in my youth, so I, I, I you know I respect the umbros. Yeah, umbros are pretty good. Are you were you a soccer player as a kid? Here's a, a little fun fact, actually, before I answer that. Um, I've been wearing a pair of umbros as underwear for, like, two or three days now. <laughs> there you go. I'm not, even, I'm not even fucking with you. I'm not even, like, ashamed to admit that. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. What, what color, may I ask? They're uh, navy blue. They're really – they're good. Like, And um, they have, like, little holes in them because I tried to dry them out in a toaster oven, like one of those, like, ones that you open up, you know, like – it's like a small box and you can put stuff in it and I put them in there to like dry them off and like there's little holes in them now. You put your, you put your umbros in a toaster oven? Yeah, not like the kind, not the kind that like flips a piece of toast out, but like a small one that you open up and you can put a tray <laughs> in there or whatever. Yes, yeah. And so there's like tiny holes in the umbros now that I've been wearing for underwear for the past two to three days. And that's good though because that like ventilates, you know, like allows for breathability. Yeah, it's good. It's it's good that there's holes in there. Uh, okay. So, like, what about any further comments on this book tour? I mean, you guys just had a big party and drove from town to town. Anything else happened that we should know about? Oh man, I don't. I don't even know. Um, someone someone emailed me to thank me that I held the door for them during one of the readings. So that was that was a nice experience. 
What do you mean? Like you held the door while someone was coming into the reading? Yeah. And I don't remember doing it. <laughs> so were you guys, uh, like, were you guys drunk at the readings? Like, you know, what, what was happening? It seemed like it was fairly uh, debaucherous, or is that a misreading? Um, well, from my point of view, yeah, I would say that that's accurate. Like, I was, I was given many things. And you took and- them? Yes. So, yes, I did, sir. <laughs> so how often, I mean, are you, are you doing drugs, uh, like on a daily basis or do you, is it just sort of sporadic? No, I don't really, um, I don't have the money or the social connections anymore to, to do any- like do that. So, yeah. Okay. So, and then, um, do you, do you, would you say you lead like a fairly like quiet like sedate lifestyle? Uh, so, yeah, sometimes I guess I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think it all. I don't know. I don't think it's ever like one way. It just depends on what's happening. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what, what like, you... like here's the thing. Like here, here's an example. Like, um, I've actually like I've seriously considered poisoning this dog next door. And so, like, I feel like that's not really, like, a sedate lifestyle, you know? When you're, like, when you find yourself thinking, like, am I going to do this, you know? So, like... So why are, you, why are you considering poisoning a dog? Because, like, it always, it always like, runs at me and barks at me. And so you want to kill it? And I just, I just feel like it's, a, it's not a nice dog, you know? Yeah. What kind of dog is it? It's a Doberman. Yeah, we'll see. But Dobermans are territorial. It could just be like doing what it's like programmed to do, right? Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I, I kind of thought about that when I was planning to poison it, and I ultimately decided not to do it. Yeah, don't don't poison a dog. That would. Uh, I'm a dog lover. You know, it's not the dog's fault. It's the owner's. You should you should uh you should egg the owner's house or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Egg the owner's house. I don't know. Just like, take it out on the people. Like usually, when there's a fucked up dog, it just means that the people who have the dog are fucked up. You know? Yeah. Here's the thing, though. If I take out the dog, that's going to go straight to the heart of those people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, assuming they love it, you know. But I remember when I was a yeah. kid, I had this very like you know very vivid childhood memory. Uh, of this husky. It was like a Siberian husky that lived in kind of a kennel on the side of this house. It was like chain link. Uh, this was when I lived in Wisconsin and somebody poisoned it and my friends and I found it and it was lying down like howling and it was like dying. And we went and rang the doorbell and the owners came out and like, we basically stood there while the owner freaked out and this dog just died. I was like, I I told you that just like popped into my head. I totally had forgotten about that, but um, it was a bad, yeah, it was a bad scene. It was heavy. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that just in case I ever like started to think seriously about poisoning the dog again. I'll just be able to remember that story and be like, no, it's not worth it. You know, <laughs> it's not, trust me. It's not worth it. Um, so what are you working on now? Are you working on something? Um, no, not really. Actually, I'm not really working on anything right now. So how do you spend your day? Like, how did you spend your day today? What do you do? Um, I have been, I make music with this person named Kelly. And so I was trying to make some music to send to her today. Oh, okay. So you, uh, do you play an instrument? I do, but I don't have any right now. I just have like stuff like, um, like just electronic stuff. 
So like, what, like it's just like ambient music. There's no vocals or anything. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, she sings on it. Oh, uh, okay. But you compose the the actual instrumentation electronically. Yes, that's a good way of actually. That's a good way of saying it. Okay. Okay. So and you can do you did that. a good job describing it. Yeah, it's it's tough though. But like you know, but like you you sit on your computer, and you can compose music using like what like GarageBand or something. Um, there's a few different things. I, um, somebody gave me a lot of like free download things not too long ago. And so I've just been kind of like learning that cause I don't, I, um, didn't really know anything about like drum machines or keyboards or like computer music or whatever before that. And so you've just started so, learning, you sort of, you're sort of self-taught and then your friend Kelly is the vocalist. Yes. And okay, where can people get this music? Can they can can they get it somewhere, or hear it somewhere? Yeah, there's um there's a website. There's like a Bandcamp website up for it. Um, it's called it's like Young Family, like all one word, Young Family, um, Bandcamp dot com or whatever. Okay, and then uh, I want to ask you as well uh, about your. Uh, publishing history like how did you come to publish books like what what was that road like um a while ago i was just like writing things and then putting them online and then um my friend barry graham said that he would do he would like i put them all together i put the, together like all this writing that i had done and then like put it put it into a book and he published it. And then um like basically it's basically always like people at like people come to me. So I really like I don't really know a lot about publishing. Like people ask me about it a lot, but I actually don't know a lot about publishing. So you've always been approached, like people have come to you and said we wanna we've read your stuff online and then we wanna publish you. Yeah, um I actually think that every yeah, I think every book actually was asked for. So I didn't have to, like, send them anywhere. And you don't have an agent? No. Interesting. Okay. And so um, what do you have going in, you know, in the in the immediate future? Anything? Um, yeah. I think, like, in February, um, there's going to be another book coming out. It's called Rontel. And who's publishing that? The publisher is called Lazy Fascist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and they requested it from you essentially, and you just, you know, did, did like, did you write the book, and then they just, you know, asked to read what you had, and you just sent them that, or did they commission a book from you essentially, like, and then you sat down and wrote it? Oh, um, well, when that was like the first two books that I wrote were requested by pe by two different people, and then after that. Um, Cameron, who's the editor at Lazy Fascist, he like got a hold of me and just said, "We'll do like the, just we'll put out your books or whatever, you know, like whatever you write, just like send it to me and I'll look at it, you know." And did you? Go so I've been doing that for like, a couple of years. Has he? Did you go through like a pretty substantial editorial process, or do they just take stuff as is, pretty much? Um, we talk about we talk about things. Um, I don't think really um, that there's a long editorial process, though, no. 
And then do you have like, do you have a kind of a goal in mind or any kind of ambition for it? Like, do you want to make your living from writing exclusively? Do you have dreams of like building up a huge readership or does that sort of thing not factor in for you? Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm, I don't think that's really like my goal or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I, cause I kind of feel like, um, whenever I don't have a job of some kind for too long, I don't, I don't feel good about it. So I'd probably like always try to do something, you know? So you're, you said you're saying, or whatever. are you saying that you're going to go try to get some sort of day job? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, probably. What have you done in the past, like prior to this period of, of not working? Uh, my last job was uh, at Target. I worked in the um, warehouse or the stockhouse or wherever it is. And what happened there? Like you... loading boxes. Did you just quit? Yeah. And then what? What? What else? Anything else? Um, painting, like painting walls. Okay. So just like sort of like, uh, kind of like odd jobs or, I don't know, like that's, that might not be the way to put it, but yeah, I get it. Okay. So painting, working at, yeah, like construction, like construction shit, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some, 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 I did the census, I worked for the census bureau when they did that. You know what? You're actually the second person I've talked to who worked for the census bureau. Like I think David Reese, who was on this show. Um, he, he did that job as well. There was like that brief period where it was like a, I don't even know, like a few months where the census was taken and the government hired a bunch of people to go out and count. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like really good. I was out walking around and I passed by somewhere and people were handing out, um, like flyers or whatever, like, you know, if you want to apply for it. And I did. And then it's really really like random. Like they could call you up and be like, Hey, we need you to work tonight somewhere. And then after that, you won't work again for like a long time or you could work for a long time for them. It's like, it's really weird. But, um, you like fill out your own hours on the timesheet and they pay you like a lot of money an hour to just walk around. <laughs> that just sounds very Just go great. walk around like looking for people. And then you, you're like, okay, well, I did that for four hours today because, you know, whatever. I just, like, walk around for four hours, and then then they pay you a lot. Like, how much? What are we talking? I think it was, like, $18 an hour. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Like, you know, the government. The government is not, uh, it's not, it's not going cheap. In fact, like, I feel like $18 an hour is about what, like, minimum wage should be. Isn't that, like, a livable wage for, like, basic people? Or do you know what I'm saying? Like it just like baseline expenses, living in a city or living anywhere, really. Like it just seems insane to me that like minimum wage is, you know, what? Like I don't even know what it is, like seven bucks an hour, you know? It seems like way too little. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of a bum though. Cause like when I hear $18 an hour, like it's like astounding to me. Like I feel like I would be able to live an amazing life if I made $18 an hour, <laughs> you know, like on a yearly basis, I would just like have, I would have so much money. How old are you? 29. 29. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't, and you don't have any kids or anything. 
No. Yeah, so I mean, like a wife and kids, it ch- like changes the equation. But if you're on your own, yeah, you can you can make that work for sure. Hello. Yeah. Oh, you you there? I was just I was um I was momentarily, um, like distracted by thinking about the luxur the luxurious lifestyle I would live off eighteen dollars an hour. <laughs> what would you do with eighteen? <laughs> what would you do if you had eighteen dollars an hour rolling in? Um, I actually can't think of anything. I would just like make sure that I ate a lot. <laughs> do you do you have do you have uh, do you, do you have any like aspirations to travel or anything? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I will, I guess, or I would. But you don't have but, like, you don't have like that wanderlust thing where you want to like go live in foreign countries or wander around the world or anything like that. No, not not really. Are you happy in Chicago? Um, not. I don't know. Like, not really. But I think whenever I'm outside of it, I I want to like come back to it. Yeah, I think that's you know. I think that's the way people often have like a relationship with their hometown or wherever they live. Is that like, you know, they they leave and they're glad to leave, and then they're somewhere, and it's nice to be somewhere for a little while, and then on the way home, it's always. I mean. It's a sign that you like the place that you live if you're happy to come home to it, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's... You know what? I think you're right. <laughs> so what about uh, So what about your folks? Like, what do they think of your writing? Do they read it? Does your family, like, uh, support your artistic endeavors? And are they following all this? Um, I don't really talk to them. Oh, you don't? No. Why not? Or may I ask? Like, what? Uh, I don't know. We just like don't haven't like that long for a long time. Do you have any idea why? But I think I do remember. I do. I do remember showing my dad some money one time, and he was like, "Did you get paid for this?" And I was like, "No." And then he said, "Oh, that was like, that's like I remember that." That was it. And so, like, w- yeah. the fact that you you had not gotten paid for it like sort of diminished it in his mind. Is that correct? Well, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but it seemed like that was important. I mean, if that's the first thing that you say. Right. Uh, so I don't know. So, but how long have you been out of touch with them? I've been off for a while, like... Like years? Yeah. And that doesn't weigh on you or anything? Like, you're, you're just like... I don't know. No, I don't feel like it weighs on me. And you don't know what instant. I don't. I don't feel weighed upon. <laughs> Do you know what 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 started it? You know, did, did it, was it? Uh, is it rooted in something specific, or is it just sort of like a gradual fade? Um, I don't know. Like sometimes, I don't know. I think it's just like hard. Um, for, like I don't know, like sometimes it's hard for me to get along with people. You know. Like how so? Like do you have like a, do you have a a bad temper? I don't feel like well I don't feel like I do, but I, I also feel like I don't ever like hold anything back. Maybe it's, I don't know. I think that's accurate. So, so like, do you have trouble like maintaining friendships too, or do you have are you pretty good with friends, but it's like family relationships that are hard? Yeah, I would. I think that's the same thing, probably. With friendships, because like it just like I could suddenly just like not care, you know. Not care what? Like if if you're friends with somebody. Yeah. 
And then, uh, well, and I, th- I feel like too, like friendship, like, especially as you get older, it requires work. Like you have to maintain it. And I think when you're in college or you're in some sort of school environment where you're all stuck in the same physical space together, it's much easier to, to, you know, maintain. But once you're an adult and you all live in your separate places and you have your separate lives and jobs and stuff, you have to actually work to spend time together. And, you know, it can get, it can easily sort of spin away from you. Uh, or at least that's the way it feels to me. And it stresses me out because I have people that I wish I was in better touch with and who I feel like I should be in better touch with, but like, I just get so busy or I get caught up in my own head or whatever it is. And I lose track. Like, does that happen with you too? Or, um, I don't, I kind of feel like if someone's in my life or whatever, then I keep them there for a reason. And if they're not in my life anymore, then that's like how things have worked out. But you, like I don't, I don't feel like, oh, I wish I would have done something because it's just, that's how it happened, you know? But you don't feel, and you don't feel like a guilt, like, oh, you know, I really should call so-and-so. Like, I haven't talked to her. I haven't talked to him in too long. You don't have that? I don't, I kind of don't, I, I'm weird with, like, guilt. Like, I feel guilty over something random and not really direct. Like, just rant, but I would just have a feeling of guilt, but not really about anything. And then, like, I feel like sometimes I don't have it with people in a way that, like, I probably should. And why? Like, I just don't feel guilty sometimes. Like, I feel like sometimes I don't feel guilt, like, at all about, like, bad things, maybe. Like, bad things that you've done or bad things that have happened? Yeah, I don't feel like I feel like, yeah, I feel like I don't really feel, like, guilty about them. Like, when you asked me, like, if I felt weighed upon or whatever, I, like, didn't at all. So, okay, so do you feel like you are, like, where do you think that comes from? Like, I think, like, maybe someone would say, well, he's out of touch with his feelings or he's numb. Like, do you feel numb and do you feel cut off from how you might actually really, truly, deeply feel? Or do you think that you're aware of how you feel and it's something else? Um, I think maybe I just don't, um... Like, I don't have, like, good feelings about people, maybe. Like, what do you think of people? Because I don't ever feel like, I don't ever feel like I'm, like, denying my true feelings. I feel like when I act normal and, like, like nice to everybody and, like, just try to get by, I feel like um, those aren't my real feelings, you know? Well, okay, so let's talk about what your real feelings are about people. Like, what do you think about people? I just don't really have a lot of, like, feelings, I guess, about, like, them for the most part. Like, there's some people that, I don't know, it's hard, it's, I feel like it's hard to explain right now. I feel like, um, my interactions with people are always, like, um, this person, I just assume that everyone doesn't really like me or need me around, and so then it's easy just to, like, not care or, like, do anything, you know? But I mean, like, here, like if some, even if someone that I've been talking to like every day for like years and years and years has suddenly stopped talking to me, the first thing I'd be like is, oh, they, they like figured out some reason not to like me or like they found something out or whatever. So do you think that's like rooted in that, low, like low self-esteem or I don't know, you know? Like, I don't feel like I have low self-esteem either. Actually, I don't really know. I mean, maybe like the regular amount that most people have. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, it's like I can sometimes fall into that where like I think to myself, 
like when it comes to friendships, especially like, you know, there, like there can be a lot of superficialness to human relationships and even people that you see socially with some degree of regularity, you can some, I can sometimes sit there and go like, does this person actually like care about me? Or is it just like, I'm like kind of an, an reasonably enjoyable social presence and like, I'm fun to bullshit with, but like if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, like they wouldn't lose a wink of sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like that sounds really bleak. Yeah. Like I can have that thought. Like I, I kind of understand it, you know, like it can be difficult to measure, you know, measure the depth of human interaction sometimes. And a lot of like seemingly really cordial interactions, like it can just be hard to read. And you know, there's a, to, to flip it. Like there's also the chance that like I could be totally wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a pretty grim view of people and, you know, hopefully, I, hopefully I am wrong. Hopefully the, the depth of people's feelings is greater than what I sometimes might imagine it to be, but maybe not. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I think I almost always think probably not. <laughs> so what you're saying is you take the optimistic view. I I'm saying, I'm saying Chicago, Illinois, 2012. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I just figured I'd say that. Okay. Um, so I didn't have anything to say, so I said the city and the year. <laughs> yes. It's a habit that I have. If I don't have anything to say, I'll just state the city that we're in and then the year that it is. Um, so, okay. So let me just try to get uh, a grasp on this. Like, do you feel affection for people? Like, like your girlfriend, you obviously feel affection for her, right? You care about her. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't really know anything about, it feels like, feels like it's really hard for me to explain right now. Like to explain whether or not you feel affection? Yeah. I don't really even know. That's... Like, I feel deep affection for like my cat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll be like, oh shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I guess. Like you have a, a, the ability to experience like high levels of empathy with uh, animals, but maybe not with people. Maybe, maybe, yeah. And you have no idea why that would be, assuming it's true. I don't know. I, I don't really know. I guess I just don't really like most of the people that I meet. Maybe I just haven't met like good people. Maybe so. I don't know. I mean, do you, do you like me? <laughs> I'm starting to feel a little self-conscious here. Like, do you think, uh, am I doing all right? I mean, for at least from a, a distance. Huh? Hello? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I like you. <laughs> all right. Um, well, it's just, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I understand being disappointed in humanity. Like, I feel that. But, um, I think you might underestimate how much people care about you, you know, uh, do you ever feel that way? Um, like, do you ever, I don't really know. It's, it's hard, it's hard for me to like gauge that. You, but do you ever second guess yourself is I guess what I'm saying? Like, do you ever think to yourself, well, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe people care more than I think they do. Maybe people are more decent and well-meaning than I give them credit for. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's certainly possible. No, but, I'm, but do you ever think, do you ever think that to yourself? I don't, 
Maybe not not that often. Not that often. Well, yeah. So, uh, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing tonight? Anything? <laughs> no. You're just gonna sit in your girlfriend's apartment. Yeah, I think so. I feel like kind of sick too, so I might just go to sleep. And that's it. Um, all right, man. Well, I, you know, it's been it's been interesting talking with you. I, I, I you know, I hope that uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Or at least like found it. Yeah, thank you. Found it somewhat interesting, and uh, I wish you all the best of luck with your uh, writing. And uh, you know, I don't know. Take care of yourself. Thanks, man. Okay, folks, that does it. That's the show. That is Mr. Sam Pink. Go get his books. Be on the lookout for Rontel coming in February 2013 from Lazy Fascist Press. You can find Sam online at impersonalelectroniccommunication.com. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed at otherpeoplepod. I have a Twitter feed at Brad Listy. If you would like to read my sporadic and cerebral tweets, the show has a Facebook presence. And if you would like to email me and share with me your worldview, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. And hey, uh, don't forget to go get the app, the official free Other People app. It is available right now for your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod Touch, or your Android device. It is completely free. And it is a great way to listen to this program. Thanks, as always, to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And uh, I think that's it. I think that is all I've got for now. Uh, please do go get a copy of Board. It is a strange book. Uh, everything in it originated on a comment board. So that's interesting, right? Have you ever read a book like that before? I don't think you have. I don't think you have. Have you? Maybe you have. Please remember that Robert Frost died of a pulmonary embolism while enduring metastatic prostate cancer and that William Burroughs killed his wife while trying to shoot a glass that was perched on her head, a la William Tell. Uh, thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks for subscribing at iTunes. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show at iTunes. Thanks for tweeting about the program and Facebooking it. Facebooking it. You know what I mean. I appreciate it. I'll be back again soon with another episode, another conversation with another writer. In the meantime, uh, please do not poison any dogs. Do not poison dogs, please. Okay? Is that reasonable? Uh, have I made a reasonable request? Please? Please? <laughs>